0: Hello everybody, and welcome to the Big Ten Hoops Weekly Show. Uh, this is Steve here alongside Brett, and and we're here for what's going to be our final recap of the 2022-2023 season. Um, and you know, as it as uh as it ends for essentially all teams except for you know one or two, uh, we're we're here to talk about uh, the final Big Ten. The final Big Ten team's loss of the the season as the the conference heads into the off season. Um, we're also going to talk, I think, just generally about how the Big Ten performed in the tournament, and we'll also get to some interesting um, off the court stuff that's happened over the the last week or so here. But the the headline uh, of this last week was was the lone remaining team that stood representing the conference in the Sweet 16, and that was the Michigan State Spartans. Um, They had a game against Kansas State, the the first game of the day on Thursday, and they were outlasted in overtime um, by a a Kansas State team uh, by the score of 98 to 93 behind a historic performance by Kansas State's um, tiny, pesky little point guard, Marquise Noel, who had 19 assists um, in that game. Um, it was a really, really tight, um, exciting game down the stretch, um, and you know we'll, we'll we'll talk about it I think in a little bit of detail here. But Brett, what, what's your initial reaction um, to uh, that performance? Not not just the performance that we saw at a Kansas State, but but also you know about Michigan State and and how they showed in the Sweet 16 game.
1: I mean, this is probably more. I mean, I say I feel like I say this with every day of the tournament that passes, but that was, that was one of, if not the best games of the tournament, I think you just had two teams that were ready for the moment and just, you know, kind of hitting and hitting back. Um, just really kind of a heavyweight, heavyweight fight, especially down the stretch, uh, in, in overtime. Um, I mean, I, you know, there's not, not, we, we always, it was always kind of inevitable for some reason to me that, that this Michigan state team would be the last team standing, uh, just you know, with with Tom Izzo's reputation in 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 March uh, and and other times, uh, you know, during the season where they were really flying under the radar, um, it it just always kind of seemed inevitable to me. But I, I mean, in it, it really is interesting because in the, in theory, you look at the box score, you kind of remember what things were like when you were watching the game. Michigan State did a lot of things well enough to win this game. They sh- they hit. 52% of their threes. They were 82% from the line. Uh, you know, they turned the ball over maybe a bit too much and didn't force that many turnovers, which is kind of something that we had identified going into the game, especially because Kansas state does turn the ball over a ton and they only turn the ball over five times. And that's kind of where, where it lies. Um, and they just, they just didn't have an answer at the end of the day. And and that's what happens in this tournament. Um, you run into guys like Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson who are also ready for the moment and, and just, were able to deliver the last punch.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's not surprising that the Spartans offense, you know, was was able to hang in a in a game like this. Um, you know, AJ Hagard was really, really impressive, um, not just in terms of his shooting percentage, but his ability to get to the free throw line. Did a, a good performance from from Joey Hauser, maybe just a so-so performance from Tyson Walker, but I think the offense hung for the most part. What what I was a little bit surprised about, and I think we've we've kind of talked about it with this team, we talked about it with this team during the conference season. I mean, their defense felt substantially tougher at home than when that team went away from the Breslin Center. And, you know, they they got gashed and picked apart by um you know by by Kansas State's point guard. And, you know, whether it was you know, that player and that team being ready for the moment, like you talked about, or whether it, it was, um, you know, Michigan state, you know, not doing something wrong on defense or, or maybe not even having faced a point guard of that caliber in the conference play. I, I I think, you know, we, we haven't necessarily talked about it that much in, in this forum because of the big Ten's lack of ability to get late in the tournament. But once you get this far, you're kind of susceptible to not randomness, but just these wacky performances. Where um, over the course of the season, you know all the stuff evens out, but on on this day, uh, Kansas State that that was enough to get them over the top into a game that was really, you know, nip and tuck, punch for punch down the stretch. And I think you know really the the play that highlighted just. Um, Kansas State and, you know, Marquise Noel and his ability to pass was that kind of the kind of iconic play of the game where he was talking with Jerome Tang and they were trying to run a play and then he throws the alley-oop and, you know, at a pivotal point in the game. So um, I think it, you know, Michigan State definitely hung hung tough and represented well, but man, I mean, if it were only 18 assists instead of 19, they may have walked out of there with a win.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, but again, I think that's more of a Kansas State played a great, great, great game and Michigan State played a great game. And, you know, sometimes that's not enough, um, as, as we've seen all too often in March. But, you know, hats off to to the Spartans for being the last Big Ten team standing and and, you know, making making an impact in the tournament, um, all things considered.
0: So, so that's it. Um, that that's it for the 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 Big Ten as far as the the tournaments that matter. And I'm going to emphasize that that. Um, hey, just, ex- just excuse you. Just
1: because, just because Michigan lost doesn't mean the NIT doesn't matter.
0: It 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 doesn't matter, and we've intentionally not discussed it on here for a reason. Um, but zoom zooming out, you know, maybe let's spend a few minutes just talking about um, putting this season in context here. Um, I, I think it was a, a disappointing performance from the conference in the tournament for a number of reasons, some of which we hit on last week. Um, but you know, I think there were some individual teams that you know, have a lot of positives that they can take away from this season. Um, even though, like, even though the, the, the conference necessarily didn't show as well. And I think, you know, oftentimes one of the gauges that, are used to like evaluate a conference's season is yeah, a number of teams in the tournament that's an obvious one and the big 10 was that was at the top there but it's also a number of teams that get to the second weekend um and and that's one where the the conference lacked although i i think there were other conferences the SEC in particular did not get a team to the elite eight and i think they were better i think pound for pound than the big ten throughout most of the season and they kind of end up in the in the same place as them when it comes to the elite eight so Brett I'm just curious for your general thoughts on um how the conference did and and like how the fans should be feeling about the reputation of the the basketball product of this conference heading into the offseason.
1: I don't think that this tournament changed anybody's mind if you just like neutral college basketball fan of of a you know a big east team a big a, a big twelve team an s e c team um I think that they'll kind of say, yeah, the Big Ten just kind of beats up on each other and 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 then doesn't make a an impact in the tournament. And I think this year more than ever, I think with the middle of the conference being so even, you know, where, where it was really pretty much anyone's game on any night besides like Minnesota. And, I you know, I think I think the conference kind of lived up to that. I think it was kind of a bunch of teams that did well in non-conference and acquitted themselves well in non-conference like like Purdue um and you know Michigan State and you know even Michigan State again obviously making it the farthest but I think that it's this this season or this this conference per, per, tournament performance excuse me didn't really change anybody's mind I think if you're zooming in a little bit on individual teams you can see some teams where their fans should be really happy, uh, I think, with how everything turned out. I think I'm really looking at Maryland specifically uh, getting out of a tough first first round game and then the whole, hanging with Alabama for for a bit of very talented Alabama team. Um, And I think especially in the stopgap year for for Kevin Willard, his first season in the program, I think that's something where fans can say, look, he kind of pulled this mismatched team together from nothing and and. Not nothing, but, you know, guys he didn't recruit really and and made it, you know, won a game in the tournament. I think that's that's a good starting place. I think if Micah Shrewsbury had stayed at Penn State, I think this would be a perfect launching off point for that program. And we'll get to that in a bit. Um, but then you look at Iowa, Illinois um, and you and Indiana maybe and say, well, this is the same, 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 same shit, different day. Like, you know, it's kind of the same problems that have plagued these teams for a while and not being able to overcome them. In the tournament. Um, so overall, I think kind of even keeled. I mean, no, there were no really besides Purdue teams that every ev- everyone outside the conference was really talking about as championship contenders. Um, so I think that overall this season is is not changing anybody's mind.
0: Yeah, well, and I think that's that's part of the problem, doing I think you know you should also shout out Northwestern as one of the teams that I think has to be really happy about where they. They stand. Um, I think we'll see what their team looks like next year, but I think just given that I mean they had basically been awful for the last couple of years. You know this kind of came out of nowhere, and I think you know that fan base happy to be there, happy to have won a tournament game, happy to have been competitive in a in their round of 32 matchup. And I think the each team sort of has their own unique reputation um, in in a way, and I, I think. A, a lot of the bad associated with some of the stronger teams in the conference this year kind of reared its its ugly head, I think, to to get us there. You know, Purdue now has a reputation of losing, not, not just underachieving in the tournament, but like losing, you know, lo- losing, being the victim of upset, you know, and choking. Like they now have that reputation associated with them and that harms the conference, right? Um, Illinois, no one can seem to figure out why they can't figure it out. And that harms the conference too, right? Um, it, it's funny, right? Because even just comparing with last year, uh, last year was sort of almost the opposite problem, right? Like we had a bunch of teams that overachieved it throughout the season, got high seeds, and, it, and, and still couldn't deliver, right? Like you had Iowa as a five seed losing the first round. You had Wisconsin as a two seed losing early. You had... Purdue getting to the, getting to the sweet 16, but uh, not, you know, losing to St. Peter's Um, and yet Illinois, you know, losing in the, in the second round, you know, these are teams at the top of the conference that you just couldn't deliver. And I almost wonder like, is it, is it talent? That's the problem? Because I think you can look at the big 10 and there just haven't been the caliber of NBA draftees, um, of some of the other conferences that that you know we see come out, but but this year I think it's a little bit different. Like I think there might be four or five guys from the Big Ten taken in the first round, um, and it's perplexing why that didn't translate, you know, to to more wins on the court.
1: Yeah, I I mean I think there's there's definitely something there, um, you know, and I th- I think we'll see moving forward. I think we'll see a little bit more recruiting parity as as NIL stuff kind of gets settled after you know a year or two of just kind of all right here throw money at things and and as that gets out so i i think that there's that i think you know you're also seeing less I, maybe not less but like there's not a lot of continuity although sometimes and sometimes that doesn't really matter but um but again i think if even if there is continuity the top end talent really isn't quite there i mean you you know indiana had trace jackson davis who's great one of the best college basketball players in the country. And then the rest of the guys that were around for multiple years were all mediocre to bad. Um, and that was everyone's preseason pick to win the big 10. So I think, I think there's something to be said there. I think, you know, and not, not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but I think there is a certain logic to thinking, well, okay, the, the way the games are refed in the big 10 conference and the way they're refed in the NCAA tournament are a little bit different. And it's hard for players to adapt to what's been to a thing that's been something that's been called or let go kind of the entire year. Um, That's not going to c- cause a conference wide shift in wins, but I think it's, it's something that at least is present in the back of players' minds. I think if with the tournament being allowed to be way less physical than your average Michigan state, Ohio state game or whatever. So I think there's a multitude of factors, I think, because it's also interesting because I would hold up the big 10 coaches against, any other conferences coaches for the most part. I think there's a lot of really good coaching talent there. And I so yeah, maybe it is just a talent deficiency, but I think you know, we we'll, I think I think we'll be able to maybe have a better idea of that sort of as the next couple recruiting classes and and portal especially classes uh kind of fall into place.
0: Yeah, you know, and I I think just even peeking forward to next year a little bit. I think there's next year's going to be a crucial year for I think several Programs in the conference, just when you think about the direction that they're heading, and I I think Illinois is probably at the top of the list. Where, um, you know, they probably got a little bit out of their skis when Underwood came and had, you know, I mean, he's he's really put together a strong run of regular season success in his first three years there, Um, and and in the in the COVID year too, Um, but. No Sweet Sixteens, despite the the, the conference you know, conference tournament championships and regular season championships. No Sweet Sixteens, um, and 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 teams that don't like look good and ready when they get to the tournament in March. And you know we'll we'll see what that roster looks like next year. Um, no no word on Terrence Shannon yet, but you know we'll we'll see what that roster looks like next year. Um, because he he could have another year where he kind of has to patch things together. I think, you know, Michigan's another one where they really underachieved this year Um, and yeah, kind of heading in the wrong direction um, as they enter year five of the Jawan Howard era um, with a roster that could be fairly depleted uh, as, as well um, with several potential, you know, NBA caliber players on that team. Um, and even like a Ohio State, right, with Chris Holtman, he's usually been pretty consistent, uh, but this year was was not very good. Um, and so, you know, th- those are three programs I think in particular where like we're going to be watching them next year because if 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 they don't perform, I mean, I mean, you could lump Wisconsin in there too for for that matter. There there might be coaches on the hot seat and fan bases up in arms. Um, so you know, there are a lot of things to look at as as we think about next year. Um, with that, we'll pivot into just some just general news updates, as well as other things taking place in the conference, just with offseason getting started for several programs. So we, we have a coaching change. Uh, Micah Shrewsbury is gone in Penn State, heading to South Bend to replace Mike Bray and coach the Fighting Irish. He, he had a really, really good year. So in, in some ways, it's surprising that, you know, he built all this momentum. Um, and you know, got got them their first NCAA tournament bid in a while, along with the team just like that looked really, really well. We didn't mention Penn State as in the in the fan bases of of teams that should be. Well, or, I'm sorry, you did mention them, but um, they they should be proud of the year that they had this year. But but. You can kind of see, given his background, why Notre Dame would be appealing, and in particular the conference that they're in right now. But what are your thoughts on on Shrewsbury headed to the Fighting Irish?
1: I mean, it's a huge bummer for not only Penn State but for the conference as a whole. I think, I think, and we've we've talked about this a lot. Like Michael Shrewsbury is a really, really good coach, and we saw that even going back to to last season when you know the the kind of formation of this year was there, um, and you had guys like Pickett and Lundy and Dred. And they still played really hard. They played good defense, uh, and you could see there was an identity there, and that continued into this year with bringing in Andrew Funk and and that recruiting class, and and they had got that kind of paid off, obviously with a with a first round tournament win, and and that was huge for Penn State's program. I, you know, kind of doing some digging around the the coaching stuff, I think there were some issues with. Penn State and potential willing to invest in facilities and NIL for basketball when it's it's very much a football school and I think I mean leaving for Notre Dame isn't going to change much of that but I it's it's a huge bummer I get he's from Indiana so I get it and I think he makes uh, the Fighting Irish uh, a, a really good opportunity right away but I think that Penn State is going to have a very interesting time. Uh, replacing him. I mean, some, some names buzzing around right now are, are guys like Matt Langle at Colgate, who plays a similar kind of offense predicated on a lot of threes. Uh, Pat Kelsey at Charleston will be a hot, hot name. Um, and out of, uh, um, tr- so having a really good year and making it to the tournament, maybe Pat scary at Towson uh, and then VCU's Mike Rhodes. So I think they're really kind of focusing on kind of East coast guys that know the recruiting territory, um, especially in Pennsylvania, which is definitely, there's a lot of talent there. But yeah, I think it's it's a huge blow for for Penn State because there's there's no guarantees and, and Shrewsbury really seemed to be building something big um, and I I don't know I mean if if the rumors about the the school's refusal to like actually buy in are true then it makes more sense but I mean Notre Dame's been through a little bit of a rough patch sure they're in the ACC but I mean they've they've kind of been up and down over the last few years um, so it's it's an interesting career move um, I think to say the least.
0: Yeah, I think his his roots in Indiana probably had a lot to do with it. cuz in some ways the schools are similar, right? Like they're football's number one um and so in some ways that can be appealing, right? Cuz like you don't have super high expectations for the basketball program, but at the same time you really get the buy-in and the dollar investment that you need to truly be able to succeed. And and you know, it, 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 this could be due to some of those things that you referenced that are more Sort of under the surface that the average fan, you know, wouldn't know about. But um, I, I, I think more of the story is, yeah, it, it stinks for Penn State. I, I, I don't even if he stayed, I don't know what their roster was going to look like. You know, they, they played, you know, they didn't have a super deep rotation this year, and you know, there are going to be guys that were going to be leaving anywhere. But yeah, I think this, uh, this will set them back a little bit, um, and they'll, you know. Kind of, they kind of have to start over after just having started over two years ago. So that's unfortunate there. Now let's talk about the NBA draft. So we've had four guys formally declare for the NBA draft. Jet Howard out of Michigan, Bryce Sensenbaugh out of Ohio State, Cliff O'Marie out of Rutgers. So three guys from teams that didn't make the tournament. And then Seth Lundy declared out of Penn State as, as well. So, yeah, I think the the – Presumption is that Howard and Sensenball will be mid mid first round picks, and Omaruji and Lundy I think will be probably lucky to be second round picks at this point. Maybe Omaruji a little bit more likely to go off the board um, than Lundy, but like yeah, you know maybe let's start with the let's start with the bigger name guys. So I don't know that this terribly surprises anybody, but forgetting about like where they're going to go in the NBA draft. Cause I think that's, that's kind of obvious to everyone. Like what's the impact that Howard and Sonson Ball's departures leave on their two teams?
1: That's a good question. I think so. Howard, I think by most accounts was playing hurt for a decent part of the year. Uh, his ankles were, were bothering him. He sat a few games um, and he obviously had a much stronger start to the season than, than finished likely due to those injuries. But I mean, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just talking for myself here, but I could see the the lottery talent from Jen Howard pretty much from day one. I mean, he's about a pure as pure of a shooter as you'll find uh, in, in this draft. He needs to, he, there are a lot of things he needs to do better. Um, he, you know, got to work on more finishing around the rim and uh, attacking closeouts instead of just shooting, work on shot selection and, and has some defensive questions. But I mean, shooting will get you paid in the NBA and and that's, from day one he can go in and, and provide minutes, I think, on an NBA team. But I mean, it leaves Michigan without a really a scoring wing. Uh and, you know, we'll we'll see what happens with, with Kobe Buffkin and his potential declaration. But I mean, Michigan will not have a lot of outside scoring next year. Uh and this leaves this leaves a big hole uh, on the wing, although it should probably help their defensive rotations somewhat. Um and Sensabaugh was kind of a do it all uh offensive scorer, three level scorer. Um same defensive questions, but you know, he's still a freshman like Jet Howard. So those will probably work themselves out at the next level. I actually think like if Ohio state brings everyone back, I mean, you know, they'll still have Bruce Thornton, which is, so they'll still have guard scoring. Um, I don't know what their recruiting class looks like, but and they'll lose justice suing. And I believe Sean McNeil and Isaac likely, so they're going to have a lot of pieces to fix, um, to replace, excuse me. But I'd say that Especially with Senba's a little bit more inconsistencies uh and his foul habits, I think that you know the Ohio State should be able to kind of replace that talent easier than Michigan as they're currently stated,
0: yeah, and then with Omari and lundy like i I almost feel like the, the these guys are are playable i think in internationally, and um I don't know that they're gonna take g league runs but you know i think with Omaruyi his style is probably conducive to like the the possibility of like a stint on an nba team just because like he's a rim runner and in, in defense like you, you kind of see why that style might work for some nba teams but he does not have great touch around the rim foul trouble i, I don't know if it was necessarily a huge issue for him but there's there's still a little bit of like sometimes you can't stay on the floor at moments when you need to and I, I think lundy is just a matter of there's other guys that are bigger, faster uh, and better shooters than than him um, although i'm surprised i've seen him like in the top 100 on a lot of prospects lists which
1: obviously isn't enough to necessarily get you in the draft
0: but i think he'd be a really good player in europe
1: yeah so i actually i think omarie is going to be back in Rutgers next in new brunswick next year um i i basically his NBA ceiling right now is the first two years of Nick Claxton, uh, who was a first-round pick. But rim running and defense, like you said, uh, is basically how he's going to be used until he figures out how to just put the ball in the basket nicely instead of throwing it off the backboard or the rim or kind of whatever. Because like as you alluded to, that was a perfect way to describe it. He just does not have a lot of touch around the rim. He doesn't have an outside game, really. Um, and his free throw shooting isn't great either. So it's not like that's projectable. So, I mean, he will give you energy defense rebounding and and, you know, rim running. But I think with another year, he's more likely to be a second round pick. and I, yeah, that's i so I think I think he'll he'll do the workouts. He'll get the feedback, kind of show that he he needs to work what he needs to work on. but I, I anticipate him being back. um, but you know, also, there's a market for guys like that in you know, g league or kind of a two- way contract or Europe. Um so, but I, as of right now, I, I would guess he'll be back. Uh, with Lundy, it's interesting also because I you know, shooting will get you paid wherever. I don't think he's going to come back just because I'm pretty sure he doesn't want to play for yet another head coach. He's been through a few of them in his time at Penn State. And I think with Shrewsbury leaving, this is the perfect time for, for him to, to move on. So I anticipate him staying in the process. Um, I think he's the kind of guy that will get— He'll get a good summer league look, and he'll get minutes in summer league, and that could lead to a two-way or a year-up contract, um, like you said. So I think good shooter, 40% from three this year, uh, and especially when teams were really selling out against Penn State on the three. So for him to be able to shoot that you know, that percentage in a high volume um, speaks to his at least ability to do it, and I think that there will be a home for him somewhere at the next level, wherever that may be.
0: Awesome. And then just wrapping things up here, we'll leave you guys with some transfer portal portal updates as well. This is going to be the first of, I think, a lot of news that we're going to hear about in the transfer portal. But to date, I think the only key players that have announced something regarding the transfer portal is both Jamison Battle and Talon Cooper out of Minnesota are are heading into the transfer portal. So I think we always talked about how difficult it's been for, Ben Johnson getting that team um, competitive. So that certainly won't, won't help things. But again, you can understand um, the perspective from those two fairly talented players and wanting to take their talents elsewhere. Um, I think interesting, interesting name that popped up from Iowa's Aaron Ulis. So I think as Tony Perkins really solidified um, himself as the, the, the primary point guard this year um, that sort of hurt Ulis's playing time. So That's not super surprising. And, One that's maybe a little bit more surprising for me is Oscar Palmquist out of Rutgers. He really seemed to settle into his role as, um, you know, kind of a a key shooter. I think he was starting by the end of the year, actually. So that's a little bit of a surprise because I, from the times that I watched him play, it seemed like he was effective, but um, he's going to be taking his talents elsewhere as well. Um, I think, you know, maybe the last thing I'd say on the transfer portal is just I, I expect a lot of these big 10 teams to be aggressive and bringing guys in via the transfer portal. I know there still might be news that drops about um, maybe guys that didn't quite see a lot of minutes, um, you know, mo- moving on, but um, I don't know that. I-, I don't know about you, but I don't see necessarily a lot of big time guys potentially leaving to you. Uh,
1: no, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see, obviously Wisconsin is still playing right now. So kind of interested to see what is there, but I also think we'll see some turnover as teams bring players in and need to get under the scholarship limits. Um, So, you know, the thing we all used to make fun of Tom Crean for was, is basically commonplace in college basketball. Uh, So I just, after a little bit of initial research here, it looks like Indiana is coming after Jamison battle pretty hard to, to kind of fill that Miller cop shooter role. Um, It's going to be a radically different, Indiana team next year, uh, from from just looks and and star power. So I think bringing in a proven scorer that is probably ready to sacrifice a few points for actually winning a couple games is 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 you know a good move for Indiana. Um, I think I think Battle, you know, he's had his ups and downs. He's been injured, but he still should be sought after pretty hard by by a number of, of power five programs. Um, Cooper, I eh, he's fine. Um, like he'll go he'll go get minutes. He might have to transfer down um a little bit. Um you know, so maybe he's playing mid-major ball next year. Um, but like you said, this leaves Ben Johnson with just an absolute talent deficit, uh, especially after their, their five-star Devin Dennis Evans decommitted, uh, and is now going to Louisville. Um, it, you know, I don't want to call anything super early, but it looks like it could be another rough year for, for the Gophers, uh, just because it doesn't look like they'll have a big 10 quality team at this point, even with, uh, Cam Christie coming in you Like you said, makes sense given uh, his kind of probably desire to start. I think he's shown some, he's shown some stuff. Um, He's a hard he's a real just hard nosed player. Um, And I think there's, there's room for that as guard depth at a number of programs. I don't know that he'll get a starting spot in a power five conference. Um, But then again, Joe Toussaint did. So, you know, there's, there's a market there for, for guys that, that play hard and, and play good defense and can game manage effectively. Um, so there's that. And then Palmquist. Yeah, I think he really only started once, once Mag got hurt. Um, and maybe, you know, the, the timeline for him is, is better than we'd think. Um, so I could also see him transferring down a level.
0: Got it. So that, that's all that we had for you today. Um, thanks for sticking with us through, throughout the season here. Um, a lot more news to come out of the conference as the coaching carousel you know, continues its, its way around at Happy Valley. And as guys continue to declare for the draft, and um, coaches go out on the recruiting trail, uh, both to finalize their incoming classes, but also to see who they can get through the transfer portal. So a lot of fun news still to come. We'll be with you all the way. Um, sad uh, that it was not going to be a Big Ten team in Houston hoisting the National Championship trophy, um, but there's always next year. Um, So thanks again for tuning in and we'll talk to you guys again soon.